The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC, 1 p.m. in Abu Dhabi, and here is your top five at five. Stocks kicking off the trading week at all-time highs, but could a Fed wildcard keep markets on edge? Is $5 a gallon gas coming? OPEC still stuck as the group tries and fails to put more oil on the market We'll lay out exactly what is going on. China keeps cracking down as the government once again going after a big tech name. From Russia, without love, as yet another criminal computer attack comes from the country. We'll tell you who and what. And an air travel milestone over the weekend as the skies packed once again. You may not believe what just happened. It is your RBI on this Tuesday, July 6th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world you may be watching. Thanks for joining us. I'm Brian Sullivan. Hope you had a great 4th of July. Happy birthday, America, and a long weekend. All right, let's get right now to the markets and your money. And stock futures, they are, we'll call them up, I guess, because the Dow futures are technically in the green, but by five points, NASDAQ down a couple of points. Let's call that exactly flat. Now, Whatever the futures are doing, we are starting the trading week off from a position of overall strength. The S&P, NASDAQ, and NASDAQ 100 all trading at record highs. The Dow trying for its fifth winning session in a row. As far as sectors go, well, technology has been hot again. Consumer discretionary has been hot again. Healthcare all remaining in record territory. All right, there is no change in bond yields, but we show them to you anyway because of this. Oil, we'll get to that in just a moment is higher. And if oil keeps moving up, it is likely bond yields could keep coming down, inflationary concerns, etc. And we are seeing the 10-year yield at 1.43%. All this ahead of another big week of economic data. You've got the ISM services number out today, but the jobless jolts number is better than the jobless claims, in my opinion. That is out of 10 a.m. Eastern. That is the job opening and labor turnover survey, 10 o'clock Eastern tomorrow. How many open jobs there are in America? There have been millions, as many as 8 million. We are, however, seeing some changes in the job market with states regarding unemployment benefits. We'll see if that narrows some of the gap in those open jobs, jobless claims on Thursday, wholesale trade on Friday. So there is your economic week ahead. We also get the Fed minutes out on Wednesday. All right, but now to this morning's top story, and it is a developing one for the global energy markets. Oil surging to its highest level in three years. Price of WTI crude up 2% right now. All this as OPEC failed to reach an agreement on new production levels over the weekend, despite extending what was supposed to be just a one-day meeting last Thursday. Well, all of this morning, there is no new date for a third meeting. In fact, they were supposed to meet yesterday, but did not. So, as of now, 
current output levels will remain the same. They did not reach a deal to raise output, meaning no new oil coming onto an already squeezed market anytime soon. Now, what is happening under the hood of OPEC is complicated, but the main issue really is twofold. Number one is a disagreement over the UAE's starting production level, their so-called baseline. Two, the length of time over how long to extend these current baseline levels. Now, the UAE is the only holdout inside of OPEC, but that is enough because under the OPEC charter, all deals must be unanimous. So, what is next? Well, according to nearly every piece of research over the last couple of days, oil is likely headed up because with no new deal, that means no new barrels being added to the market. And with demand going up and no new supply from OPEC, some have called for $100 a barrel oil in the months ahead. That could mean five or even five plus dollar a gallon gas. But there is another scenario that could go the other way. One where the United Arab Emirates either ignores the OPEC deal and begins pumping more barrels on its own or simply decides to leave the group OPEC altogether. Now, while that is unlikely and sources I spoke with in the Emirates over the weekend told me that is not their ideal situation and they do not want to do that, it does remain a possible outcome, however small. So if the UAE does begin pumping more barrels, other companies or other countries rather may decide they need to do the same or risk losing market share. If that happened, and again, a small chance, but if it did happen, it could result in a 2020-like market share battle and tumbling oil and gas prices. Now, for its part, the Biden White House has stood up and taken notice, and they are urging OPEC and its allies to find a compromise solution to get a deal done to increase more production, with reports that Secretary of State Anthony Blinken could get involved, if he hasn't already, in the days ahead, because no one politically wants $5 a gallon gasoline. So who are the winners likely to be in this? Well, likely just big oil. They've been winning, and they could reap the benefits of higher prices. Refiners also could be a group to watch. We are seeing Exxon, Occidental, and Chevron shares higher right now in the pre-market. All right, we're going to get much more on all this ahead, but that is not all that is going on on this Tuesday morning. So let's get now to some of your other top stories. Contessa Brewer is here now with those. Contessa, good to see you. Hope you had a great long weekend. I saw the dog in the basket Brian, on the thank bike. you. <laughs> you know, a bike ride on a holiday weekend is always a good idea. You know what's been keeping security officials busy on this holiday weekend? Cyber attacks. In fact, they're working to contain what's now being called one of the single largest global ransomware attacks on record. The Russian-based cyber criminal group R-Evil blamed for Friday's attack, which targeted software vendor Kazea. Its products are widely used by IT management companies. R-Evil is demanding, we're told, $70 million in Bitcoin to decrypt the impacted devices, though suggested it's willing to bargain. Hey, Kazea says as many as 1,500 businesses globally have been affected by the breach and says it's met with the FBI and other security officials on the matter. Several U.S. tech companies are threatening to quit offering their services in Hong Kong over proposed data laws there. According to a letter from the Asia Internet Coalition, which represents Facebook, Twitter, Google, the companies could pull the services over the law, which could make them liable for, quote, malicious sharing of individuals' information online. 
the coalition, also represents Apple, LinkedIn, and many others, says these companies are concerned the rules could put their staffs at risk of criminal investigations or prosecutions related to what the firm's users post online. The first half of 2021 is proving to be a blockbuster one for money going into global equity funds. According to the Financial Times, roughly $580 billion were added to the sector during the period. The FT reports strategists with Bank of America estimate if the pace of inflows continues for the rest of this year, get this, equity funds would take in more money in 2021 than in the previous 20 years combined. Can you believe that, Brian? I mean, I knew that the numbers were big. I did not realize, Contessa, they were that big. I mean, the amount of cash that's out there has been estimated at four and a half to five trillion with a T dollars. I mean, those are truly staggering numbers. Staggering. Yeah. Yeah. And you wonder why stocks go up, because there's, there's more buyers than sellers. Contessa Brewer, we will see you in a few minutes. Thank you very much. Wow. Big numbers there. All right. When we come back, shares of the Uber of China are sinking as China's government cracks down. Look at that. Didi down 21 percent. A live report on why from China ahead. Plus, much more on the OPEC impasse. The possibility for $80 oil, maybe $5 a gallon gasoline. Halima Croft is here. And later, air travel is back in a big way. But can airlines keep up with demand as pilots and crew? Some decide simply stay home. We got a lot more to do. Dow futures up a tick, Bitcoin up 700. And we're back right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Methane management is a critical part of achieving a lower carbon future. Chevron is taking action to keep methane in the pipe. Their 2028 upstream methane intensity target is set to be 53% below the 2016 baseline. They're committed to evolving facility designs and operating practices. And they've trialed over 13 advanced detection technologies, including drones and satellites. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash methane. All right, welcome or welcome back and good morning. We have got a big story developing in China. The Communist Party continues to crack down on big technology companies. And Beijing's latest target, newly U.S.-listed ride-hailing giant Didi Global. Shares getting decimated right now, down 21% after the company is forced to pull its app from app stores in China. Now two more companies are in the crosshairs, and their shares are also sinking. Let's get more on exactly what is going on. Eunice Yun is live in Beijing with more. Good morning, Eunice. Good morning, Brian. I'm outside of a training center for DD drivers, and the drivers have said that they are concerned about the impact that this investigation can have on the business, even though for most of us, the app is still operational. Now, um, the, uh, the authorities here are extending their cybersecurity reviews 
for uh, two other companies, uh, two units of Full Truck Alliance, which is known as China's Uber for trucks, and also for an online hiring platform called Boss Chirpin. So uh, those two companies are being investigated out of concerns for national security uh, from what the authorities say. And then from what the state media tell us, uh, the main concern that Beijing has is data sovereignty. So the argument has been that the U.S. could now potentially get their hands on sensitive data uh, that is collected by Chinese companies listed in the United States. Uh, for example, um, they had said that the pressure for in Congress uh, likely will make this scrutiny even um, more uh, possible. Um, and, and in addition to that, Beijing has also been pushing to tighten its controls um, on data and get it out of private hands. In fact, the Global Times had said that data standards must be in the hands of the state and also said that Didi's data trove in combination with the U.S. IPO is a risk to national security. Now, there are other Chinese media that have been pointing out uh, Didi and YTM um, and the reason they are targets, um, for example, saying that both are critical infrastructure providers, that Didi uh, not only has, of, of course, a lot of information about consumer habits, but also has highly accurate maps of China, that YMM has details of logistic networks as well as a toll collection centers. So all of that um, is uh, raising a lot of alarm bells among uh, Beijing uh, among Beijing authorities. And then within the tech community, Brian, they're actually getting a bit of a, a different message. And, and the message there is not only that they have to be concerned about Beijing uh, trying to get information out of their hands and this data out of their hands, but also that they might want to think twice about listing in the United States. Well, I would say, Eunice, when it comes to maps, being accurate is kind of important. So highly accurate maps may be a little bit of an oxymoron. But if I mean, it's amazing when you think about the United States. Okay, have you looked at Google Maps, Apple Maps, some of the other ones, Bing Maps lately? I mean, you can literally see what kinds of dogs some people have with screenshots on the street view level. I mean, it sounds like what they're worried about in China is stuff that we don't even think about here. Right. And they are worried that the U.S. government uh, would be able to get access to that level of detail of China. So it's that sensitivity and the fact that um, the, the SEC, for example, from what, uh, what I'm hearing, could potentially um, ask for access uh, to, say, Didi's vendors or you know, where certain equipment goes to yeah. as part of an accounting review or um, that kind of thing. And so then that kind of information could get in the hands of the United States. And uh, right now with the relationship, the way it's going between the U.S. and China, it's not necessarily information that the Chinese would want the U.S. to have. But, but I guess what I'm getting at, Eunice, is it sounds like what they're worried about there is stuff that is widely available here. I mean, our government, it does, not that I know of, seems that concerned about it when it's basically super public information. It sounds like what the Chinese government is scared of is stuff that everyday citizens in America can access anytime they want here. Brian, that you're assuming, though, so in America, there might be a consensus as to how the maps are all laid out. In China, there isn't necessarily consensus on where lines are and what different areas look like. 
Um, and also there's, you know, a lot of sensitivity about exactly how to pinpoint um, maybe sensitive locations in the far west, for example, like in Xinjiang. Or maybe where, you know, to have like drivers and, and logistics centers in, in different parts of, of China that where they don't necessarily want the U.S. to know about. So it's that that's the kind of thing that they could be sensitive about. Got that as I'm looking on maps to try to find out exactly where Yinchuan City is in China, where Eunice Yun is standing right now. I'm going to figure it out by the end of the show. Eunice Yun, a big story there. Thank you very much. Didi down 21 percent. Eunice, take care. All right, on deck, the end of an era at Amazon as Jeff Bezos waves goodbye as CEO. We'll take a look at what to expect under new CEO Andy Jassy. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Methane management is a critical part of achieving a lower carbon future. Chevron is taking action to keep methane in the pipe. Their 2028 upstream methane intensity target is set to be 53% below the 2016 baseline. They're committed to evolving facility designs and operating practices. And they've trialed over 13 advanced detection technologies, including drones and satellites. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash methane. All right, welcome back. Well, the U.S. hitting a major travel milestone over the long holiday weekend as the number of people getting on a plane on Friday was more than the same day two years ago. We'll give you all the numbers in your morning RBI ahead. But with all the optimism, there are still a few big problems. Number one, many airlines are struggling to find the crew to run any new flights. And two, the most profitable flyer, the business traveler, is still staying home. Joining us now is former Pan Am, Sun Country, and Aloha Airlines CEO, David Miller, also the author of the book, Turbulence. David, good to have you back on again. I mean, it, listen, it was a big milestone. We'll get to more on it in your RBI coming up a little bit later on in the show. But the reality is, it feels that, and by the way, I know you've flown a lot recently, so have I. The yeah. airlines are packed, the planes are packed. But if we kind of reach critical mass, because a lot of pilots and crew took buyouts, and they are not coming back. Well, good morning, and thanks for having me again, Brian. As I was flying, of course, I always like to talk to the crews, and one of the captains last week told me on my way back to Ireland that he's flying 100 hours a month. That's the max FAR and 1,000 a year, and that's going to go on for a long time, and I think there's going to be some other repercussions for that. The training requirement for pilots, obviously, is extensive. You know that. And the airlines and the industry and, in fact, travel and tourism – got caught flat-footed in a way because under typical parameters, we can forecast in advance days and months, traffic patterns and demand. This caught everybody by surprise. TSA is short 6,000. The travel and tourism industry itself is looking for everybody from check-in agents at hotels and restaurant staff and, of course, crew members because they were offered early outs. Furloughs uh, were modest, as you know, And people took early retirement. And the end result now is they're scrambling, especially on the 737-800. I don't, yeah, I guess, you know, listen, I mean, David, what do I know? But I I just wonder why everybody was caught so off guard. I mean, uh, listen, again, I'm just a a talking head and who guessed. One of my predictions in December was that air travel would boom because everybody wants to get out. I mean, it doesn't, you don't need to be a genius to see that Americans love to travel And once the vaccines rolled out and the numbers came way down, that they were going to get back on a plane. Why do you think the airline industry 
seem to be so bad at figuring out what, to be perfectly honest, a bunch of non-experts seem to have pretty well in hand. Well, Brian, you, you offer a fair point. The pent-up demand was extraordinary. And a couple of things happened at once, July 4th weekend. But in addition to that, you saw the curves going in the right direction, similar to 2019, probably for all of July. The hardest job in this industry is the VP of planning because he's got to forecast in advance traffic patterns, demand, competitive issues, crew issues, maintenance issues. And the numbers that they were looking at just simply were out of touch. And you know, the airline business is yeah. really hard business on a good day. But nobody, not just the airlines, Brian, if you look at everybody else, they didn't see it coming either. And I think just my view, and, and I'm not an expert in, in some of this stuff, but in terms of the medical piece, it came together. Vaccines moved in quickly and people felt safer. Venues were more open. Theme parks were open. Hotels were open. And it was a summer for kids. And all of a sudden they said, oh, my God, let's go. And by the way, I might have mentioned to you before, international travel isn't there. We're talking just domestic. Southwest was yeah. full of everything yeah. I experienced. And American to Dublin was 20% full. And the European rules, regulations, quarantines, and so on are going to make that hard for a long time to come. And that's and that's the key. I mean, that, that's what makes the numbers, by the way, so amazing that we're going to talk about a little bit later on is there is no there's not no, but there's almost no international travel because of, as you noted, the quarantine restrictions. I had a buddy of mine recently fly to Singapore from Los Angeles. There were seven people on the plane, not including the crew. There were more crew than there were passengers because of multi-week quarantines. And again, no matter what you think of masks, I got no issue with masks, been wearing them for years, is a two-hour flight with a mask on is a lot different right. than a nine-hour flight oh, with a mask you, on. Especially last, because last week. You, it's confusing with the rules when, you, okay, you can eat, pull it down, shove the food in. Some people just leave it down for like three hours while they eat and drink. There's still a lot of work to do. Yeah, there is. And, and one more point on the airline side. You know, just to be blunt, we missed the mark for the summer traffic in terms of forecasting. We just did. A lot of people did. And I'm not making excuses for the industry. It's really a hard job on a good day. But look, we missed the mark and we're catching up and we will catch up. And the first one, of course, in the queue are the pilots and pilot training. And I think that's going to be robust for some time to come. David Van Miller, former CEO, author of the book Turbulence, and somebody who somehow did make it to Ireland, where apparently you yeah. still can't eat indoors and you've got multi-week right. quarantines. Yep. We'll get there, David. It may not be tomorrow, but we'll get there. David Van Miller, appreciate you coming on. Thank you. Well, come on over and see us sometime, Brian. Absolutely. Would love to love the people of Ireland. As a Sullivan, I, you know, I have reason to. David, thank you. <laughs> Good for you. All right, cheers. All right, now to the very latest on the very serious and very sad story from Florida. As officials are forced to bring down the rest of the Champlain Towers in Surfside Beach, as so many families still grieve. NBC's Philip Mann is in New York with more of that and some of your other top stories this morning. Philip. Yeah, Brian, good morning. Yeah, rescue workers wasted no time getting back to the search for survivors after what was left of Champlain Tower South and Surfside came tumbling down. Officials say that controlled demolition was key to expanding the search efforts there. So far, 28 lives have been lost and 117 are still unaccounted for. 
Meanwhile, tropical storm conditions have begun to lash the Florida Keys this morning. Elsa is bringing its powerful gusts and torrential rains to the Gulf Coast of Florida after first making landfall over central Cuba. The storm swept over the island with sustained winds of 60 miles per hour. Cities from Tampa Bay to the Panhandle are bracing for the possibility of a dangerous storm surge as Elsa inches north. And a new study is calling this 51,000-year-old Neanderthal carving one of the oldest works of art ever found. It is maybe kind of hard to tell here, but it's an engraved toe bone of a giant deer, and it was discovered in a cave about 150 miles from Berlin. So, Brian, that is some art we're looking at from the Ice Age. How about that? I'm kind of trying to figure out where the art is. It looks like the, somebody sliced the deer's toe. It's kind of like a chevron. It's like a chevron pattern, I think. A chevron pattern on top of it. Do you see on top of that uh, engraved bone? Hey, Brian, it's fifty-one thousand years old. What are you? What are you expecting here? That's true. The only chevron I know, by the way, is an oil company. But I, but I hear what you're saying, and that'll be a (laughs) non-fungible token available on the internet soon. Philip Menno, thank you very much. All right. All right. It's no Matisse. All right, on deck. Can OPEC come together and make a new deal? Or could $5 a gallon gasoline be ahead? RBC Salima Croft is here to lay out the real-life ramifications to the market and what it means to you with the OPEC impasse. Stick around. The OPEC standoff. As talks collapse and oil prices are on the rise, is 5 buck a gallon gas on the way? Salima Croft is here. More Russia-backed packing hitting a key software company, leaving hundreds of companies around the world scrambling to figure it out. And a new era at Amazon as Andy Jassy officially takes the helm from Jeff Bezos of what may arguably be the most important company in the world. It is Tuesday, July 6th, and this is Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Well, welcome or welcome back and good Tuesday morning, everybody. It's 531 here on the East Coast. Thanks for joining us. Here's how your money and investments look right now is, like we said, we are just about halfway through the 5 a.m. hour. S&B, NASDAQ and NASDAQ 100. Well, the futures may not be doing a whole lot. They're, I mean, down a touch. But we are starting the week from a position of strength, strong like ox. The S&P 500, NASDAQ and NASDAQ 100 all trading at record highs. The Dow trying for its fifth winning session in a row. Right now, we don't know what's going to happen, but if it goes up, that's five in a row. Let's also take a look at the cryptos. They have been weak and highly volatile the last couple of months. We are seeing a little bit of a move higher in Bitcoin today. Bitcoin is up three-tenths of one percent to 34,240. Ethereum at 22,77. The single big stock story of the day, your disaster du jour, if you will, is shared of Didi Shaosheng in China. They continue to crack down on their tech sector. Remember, this is effectively the Uber of China, their biggest ride-hailing company, and shares are down 22%. They just went public in America. This after reports that regulators in China not only called on the company to delay its U.S. IPO, then forced the company to pull its app from app stores in China over the weekend. Now, several other companies in Beijing are in the crosshairs there. As you heard Eunice Yoon talk about a few minutes earlier, or if you did not, it's about the detail of the mapping software the companies have. 
We have Google Maps here. Nobody cares. In China, their mapping software is causing companies to maybe not get shut down, but get pulled off the App Store. All right, let's get more now on your morning's top other stories. Contessa Brewer is back with some of those. Contessa, what do you got for us? Brian, we are seeing some concerning data surrounding Pfizer's vaccine in the fight against COVID. A study out of Israel showed the vaccine was less effective in keeping people from getting the virus in recent weeks amid the spread of this Delta variant. That study over the last month shows the vaccine at 64 percent effectiveness at preventing infection among those who are fully vaccinated. Previously, that number was 94 percent effective. The silver lining, though, here, the data indicates only a slight decline in protection against the worst effects of COVID, including hospitalization. So if you get sick, it still likely would keep you out of the hospital. You can see Pfizer off by 1% in extended trading. UK supermarket chain Morrison's quickly becoming a takeover target for private equity. Reportedly, Apollo Global Management has said it's evaluating a possible offer though just in preliminary stages, says that it has not even approached the grocer's board yet. Morrison's board recommended over the weekend an $8.7 billion takeover bid led by SoftBank's Fortress Investment Group. And today's the day. Andy Jassy formally takes control of Amazon. Jeff Bezos hands over CEO duties to his now former cloud boss, Jassy is taking over at a great time for the success of the e-commerce giant, but it's also facing some new pressures in the form of mounting antitrust crackdowns here in the United States and abroad. Bezos will transition to executive chair of Amazon's board, says he's going to focus on his Blue Origin space endeavor, capping off a more than 20-year run since Amazon went public in 1997 when it was just books, and now it's taken over our lives. Brian? And that number is not incorrect. 234,000% gain for Amazon since that time. Truly a remarkable run. Contessa Brewer, thank you. Look at that. A lot of people rich. All right. Now to the big global story, the epic impasse with OPEC. The group was scheduled to meet again yesterday, but called it off at the last minute when Saudi Arabia and Russia declined to participate in the meeting. Now the issue is complicated. But at issue is a disagreement over the so-called baseline production level for the United Arab Emirates and also their frustration at the length of a new deal. Now, the OPEC plus group had agreed in principle last week to raise production by about 400,000 barrels per day for the next few months. The UAE agreed they want to add barrels to the market, but they did not agree to the other part of the plan, which was tied to it. That is to extend the current baseline production level for each country through December of next year, 2022. The UAE's production capabilities have gone up significantly since those baseline levels were established in 2018. And the Emirates feel that their baseline level should now be higher. Something the Saudis and others do not agree with because other countries may argue they need to do the same. This is all very complicated, especially at 540 in the morning. But the bottom line is, as of now, there is no new OPEC production deal. And that means no new barrels on the market, which could tighten an already tight market and send prices higher like we are seeing right now. Let's try to make more sense of all this with one of the very few people who truly understands what is going on. Alima Croft of RBC Capital Markets. What is the under over on the number of text messages that you and I uh, (laughs) shared over the weekend? (laughs) 
What holiday? <laughs> it was about a couple hundred. Uh, did, did my explanation make sense, Halima? What did I miss? What's the main story here? I think the main story is it's the origin story of what happened in April of last year when you had this epic collapse in prices driven by the, the COVID situation, by the price war between Saudi Arabia and Russia. And they had this emergency meeting to do the biggest production cut in OPEC history. And they assigned baselines. UAE and a number of countries had a baseline assigned of October 2018. Several other countries, though, got an April 2020 baseline. No one was entirely happy, but they went forward with that agreement. UAE is now saying, however, that they do not want to have the old baseline extended to the end of 2022. So that's what they are pushing for right now. They want to decouple the decision to increase production from the extension of the baseline, as you laid out. There are other underlying issues. There have been a deterioration in relations between UAE and Saudi Arabia, traditionally very, very close countries. There's a question about is oil being tied up in a broader dispute. But we now have an all-hands-on-deck situation to try to once again put OPEC Plus back together. And the White House has reportedly gotten involved, calling the key stakeholders and the key capitals to try to put this arrangement back together and get this production increase done. And adding to the complexity, because geopolitics is not quite enough, Alima, is that the UAE has spent billions raising its production capacity ability. They want to use some of that. Their argument is, if our baseline doesn't go up, we're going to basically take a bigger hit than we could. They're going to produce a lot less than they could to relative to other countries. They've also got a new oil contract. It's called Merban, trades in the ice. They need to monetize it. As you have said, if you have a futures contract, you need barrels. Bottom line, do you think OPEC works it out or does the UAE go its own way? There have been question marks about UAE's membership in OPEC since the launch of Merban. As you said, benchmarks need barrels. They have expanded their spare capacity. It's been heavily to do so. So I do think this is a fundamental issue for the UAE. They are going to want to have that benchmark reset. But as you said, if you give UAE a higher benchmark, Iraq, which has complained about the terms of the OPEC agreement since November of 2016, Iraq has complained. They will also demand a baseline increase. So I do think there's going to be a broader look at these benchmark numbers. It may not be happening this summer. They may decide to do it at the December meeting. But that's going to be core to putting this back together. They have yeah. to find a way to resolve this dispute. Or UAE will potentially yeah, walk well, the organization. Yeah. And for their part, you know, His Royal Highness, Saudi Energy Minister Abdulaziz bin Salman uh, has said, we don't know where this Delta variant's going to go. We don't know where Absolutely. other variants may go. There could be renewed lockdowns, renewed shutdowns that we can't just assume because <laughs> things are good in the U.S. right now. Right. That demand will be there. That's their point. Yeah. His point has always been, you need to be cautious. He was the one in January of 2020. He was very, very concerned about the COVID story. He's always said you need an abundance of caution. He likes the monthly meeting structure, so OPEC has the ability to be flexible. He says, look, we need to extend this agreement to the end of 2022, not only because of COVID, but Iranian barrels may be coming back. Venezuelan barrels may be coming back. 
We need to retain the ability to deal with these unforeseen situations. Yeah. That is why he is saying this is not a secondary issue. We have to extend it to year end of yeah. 2022. And what's amazing, Halima, is that all the other stuff aside, we're talking about a deal to potentially raise output by 400,000 barrels a day. Keep in mind, three years ago, the United States was producing 2 million more barrels a day than we are right now. In large part, the huge reduction of U.S. output has given a lot more price-making ability to OPEC, has it not? I mean, that's, to me, that's the story we're not talking about enough. Oh, absolutely. OPEC is absolutely back in the driver's seat of this market. Dismissed as irrelevant with the shale revolution. Now they are the main story in this oil market. And that's why the White House has to now become involved in energy diplomacy. They have to pick up the phone. They have to call Abu Dhabi. They have to call Riyadh because they're not getting the barrels that we used to get out of the Permian. Yeah, and the U.S. producers are showing no signs of adding more barrels. They they threw a lot of money literally in the ground for a decade. And they're giving that money back. Halima Croft. Alima, thank you. It should all be a lot easier in Vienna. Alima, appreciate it. All right. Coming up, the very latest on that massive global data breach. Eamon Javers is here. Just how big this fallout may be and if there's any way to stop all of this cyber crime that's been going on lately. Gap Futures down one or back right after this. Well, it has happened again, and it is big. More cybercrime. And now security teams around the world are working to what is contained, what's being called the single largest global ransomware attack on record. And early indications point to the Russian-based group responsible for the May attack on JBS as being behind this latest strike as well. Eamon Javers joining us now by phone with what else we know. What do we know, Eamon, and what do we don't? We know a lot, Brian. This thing hit over the 4th of July weekend, and it looked like it was designed to catch the defenders while they were off at the beach and maybe not paying quite as much attention. Uh, What we know is that this attack initially hit a software company called Casilla. Uh, That's a company that helps manage basic software updates, and the hacker group says it infected more than a million systems as part of this attack. Now, that statement from the hacker group, Are Evil, is being looked at as possibly an exaggeration. They would have no way of knowing exactly how many systems they got into here, but that's what they're saying. And they're also saying they want a $70 million ransom paid to them in Bitcoin. Now, again, experts say that number could come down maybe significantly. Some of the folks I talked to over the weekend said uh, that the ransom might ultimately end up being about $25 million. But the Are Evil group is saying all companies can decrypt at the same time, within maybe an hour, if they get paid. And experts believe uh, that ransom, as I say, can be negotiated lower. Now, here's what Casilla is saying. Uh, They say they've got another update coming at 8 a.m. East Coast time. So in just a a short time from now, a couple of hours from now, they say only 60 customers were directly compromised. The total impact, though, they say is up to 1,500 businesses. They anticipate bringing servers back online later today. And they say they are working with the U.S. government they met with the FBI and CISA on Sunday night, Brian. Okay, so there's a lot going on there. And by the way, was your was your camera hacked? I guess, Amy. We saw you <laughs> online, so I wonder if they're 
they're, they're, they're hacking your computer as well. I mean, what happens? Do they pay the ransom again? I mean, this is becoming now a weekly event. Yeah, it, it really is. I mean, and this is in the wake of that Geneva summit between Biden and Putin, where they were negotiating on all this. Uh, the idea being that Biden might get Putin to tell the, the criminals in Russia to back off. That doesn't seem to have worked or to have happened here. Uh, now the big question for Casilla is, do you pay? If you can negotiate it down to 20, 25 million, is that worth it? Uh, to get your customers all back to square one, uh, that's a big, big question for them. There is some indication here, Brian, that uh, some of this might be recoverable on the part of some of the victims here. Uh, one of the cybersecurity experts I talked to uh, over the weekend, Dmitry Alperovitch, said uh, that a lot of, in a lot of the cases, this ransomware doesn't destroy the backup systems, and that gives the victim another option to restore here without paying. So maybe some of these victims will be able to get away without paying off the ransomware guys all right a big new story there in ransomware 70 million being demanded Eamon jabbers we appreciate you coming on however you do it my friend thank you very much <laughs> thanks frank all right on deck how <laughs> you're very welcome stocks looking to keep the record highs coming as investors once again turn their attention to the fed and its next policy moves and as a reminder if you haven't already follow our podcast if you missed the show Check us out on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, and others. And while you're there, leave a nice review. We appreciate it, and we would do it for your podcast. We'll be back right after this. Well, today's most random but interesting thing has to do with flying and the booming travel economy that is happening right now in America. Because something pretty amazing happened last Friday. The number of people getting on a plane in the U.S. was more then on the same day back in 2019, not more than last year, that was still lockdown central and almost nobody was flying. We're talking about as many as more than 2019 before anybody had heard of COVID. The TSA numbers show that on July 2nd, 2.196 million people went through an airpoint checkpoint. On July 2nd, 2019, that number was 2.184 million. 12,000 fewer people than this year. Wow. Okay. But I do know that all you sticklers out there are going to be saying, yeah, Sully, but July 2nd this year was on a Friday ahead of a long weekend, and July 2nd, 2019 was just a random Tuesday. And you would be right. But consider two things. Number one, as you heard earlier, international travel is almost non-existent. So basically, purely domestic travel beat both domestic and international flights from two years ago. And two, you got to start the recovery from somewhere, right? Once international opens up, it is possible we could have a day this year where three million or more people get on a plane, something that has never, ever happened. That is assuming the airlines can find the crew. Random, but interesting. All right, back down to the markets, kicking off a shortened holiday week. A key for investor, investors, Fed Minutes. And the latest look into the central bank's next policy steps. We get those on Wednesday. A lot of jobs data, too, with the jolts number out on Wednesday. Let's bring in Hal Reynolds. He is chairman and chief investment officer for Los Angeles Capital Management. Hal, very good to have you back on the program. For you, is it all about the Fed or is it something else? Nice to see you, Brian. Well, I think there are two things going on. You're absolutely, it's a lot about uh, the actions the central banks are taking. The uh, taper talk is very limited. There's no doubt that the asset purchases have had a huge impact on the equity markets. 
they encourage risk-taking, uh, they've lowered the equity risk premium, and that's uh, inflated asset prices. But I think there's something more important going on, and you just referred to it with the, uh, with the discussion on air travel, and that is the earnings growth is far more robust than we expected a quarter ago. So we're looking at 60% year-over-year earnings growth uh, in the U.S., and even more startling is the fact that uh, the expectations have gone up by 10% just in the last three months. And that's never happened before. As you know, guidance usually walks earnings down. The exact opposite is happening right now. So there's just a lot of fundamental momentum in the stock market. And that's a good yeah. thing. Uh, and, I, and I know, listen, the, the good news is that the MNRA vaccines have shown to be very effective against the known variants out there, like the Delta variant, which is scaring everybody. Got this Peruvian variant that is coming out. Uh, Americans are doing what they want to do. Are we underpricing risk? Because we talk about with OPEC, they're worried about more lockdowns, potentially crushing global demand, which is one reason they're wary about adding more barrels. Are we underpricing that risk, Hal? I think it's a very good question. As you know, VIX is back around 15, which is very close to the long-term average. So, you know, certainly VIX is a very short-term uh, measure of anticipated risk. It's fairly backward-looking, but I think you're right. Uh, you know, we're still seeing between 300 and 400,000 new cases a day globally. And uh, the trend down, which had been in place for some time, has sort of ceased temporarily. So I think that's a good point. And I'd also argue that inflation risk uh, really is, is not fully priced into the market. I think, uh, again, the, uh, the asset purchases play a large role here. Uh, you look at the U.S., where in the last meeting the Fed said we expect inflation at 3.4% this year. You're getting about 1.4% in the 10-year Treasury. Mm. Uh, so the real yield is hugely negative. I think it's distorting prices. So I agree. I think risk probably isn't fully priced in. But but if, if 10-year yields continue to stay where they are or even maybe move lower, if oil goes up, yields could move back down. Does that give the all clear for technology stocks? Well, in the short term, absolutely. There's no doubt about it. We saw that in the second quarter when yields backed up 25, 30 basis points and the mega cap techs took control again. I think in June they outperformed the market by, you know, by 5 6%. And uh, so you're absolutely right. And, you know, short term expectations really drive valuations. Hmm. Hal Reynolds, Los Angeles Capital Management. Hal, it's a real pleasure to have you back on a big week, a shortened week, but a lot packed in to these four days. We appreciate you making sense of it for us. Hal, thank you very much. Have a great day. Good, Take care. Good to speak with you, man. You too. Bye bye. All right, thank you. All right, that does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange to kick off the week. we got futures not doing a lot, but there's a lot of news underneath the hood as well. OPEC, cryptos, you got cybercrime, a lot more to talk about. Squawk and the gang will pick it up next. We'll see you on WEX tomorrow. Have a spectacular day. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.